This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. Now, if any of you have uh, been following some celebrity news, you might have read that Australian actor Chris Hemsworth, um, I think more famously known as the Thor actor in the Marvel Universe, he recently announced that he plans to take time off acting after discovering that he has a genetic risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. So um, again, back to the celebrity headline, you know, they were they were talking about things like a shocking revelation and uh, calling it an ominous health warning. So what happened was um, while Hemsworth was filming a new National Geographic series called Limitless, he actually underwent a genetic test and he found that his DNA contains two copies of the APOE4 gene. Um, now, what exactly is this gene? How is it linked to Alzheimer's disease? And and what does it really mean for somebody like Hemsworth or anybody else like you and me if we are found to have this gene? And should we all rush to get ourselves tested? So all these questions we're going to try and explore today with my guests, neurogeneticist Dr. Azlina Ahmad Anwar for her Brain Waves segment and genetic counsellor Yoon Sok Yi. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are the both of you? Good. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us today. So I guess, um, like me, you might have also read these uh, this news about Hemsworth while um, scrolling through social media, I presume. <laughs> um, what, what did you think, Dr. Zelina? Uh, I, th- I think I want to um, just very quickly get your take first on how you felt about seeing, I guess, you know, what would have been your professional work you know, coming into the discussion in in a very different context, right? People talking about celebrity news instead and in the context of an actor talking about it. Um, Yeah, what were your thoughts on hearing something like that being discussed uh, in this realm? Yeah, well, I I think um, we haven't actually covered Apple E testing before on the show, so I think it's really very important uh, to look at it and very timely, I suppose. Um, so I'm very excited to be able to cover the topic. I'm also very excited that in the future, if they Google our names and Chris Hemsworth and they would find the hit, yes. so that's, that's very exciting. We'll be sure but, to tag the podcast. <laughs> that's right. But also, um, I I think what we probably see is something like the Angelina Jolie effect, you know, when she came out having done the BRCA1 testing and, you know, um, managing uh, her condition. Uh, So it's going to have the same ripple effect, I think. Um, The the story with uh, Chris Hemsworth and uh, his uh, Apple E testing, yeah. So I think it's it's good to get celebrities sort of talking about it, whether or not, you know, the media handles it in a way that is correctly done without uh, causing too much, you know, rushing out and getting these genetic tests for the sake of it or, and also, um, you know, understanding that, you you know, you may do it out of curiosity, but it may have, um, you know, uh, quite an impact on your psychology, uh, whatever the results that come back. 
So I hope that we can unpack a little bit of that, put things into perspective a little bit today. Um, perhaps, uh, Dr. Azlina, you could then go on to explain what exactly um, would have been this task that um, Chris, let's call him, uh, took and um, what was it looking for? Right. So I think he wasn't looking specifically at the Apple E. So they would have um, taken his DNA um, and uh, he, they would have, you know, something very similar to these sort of commercial genetic testing companies um, that offer a sort of, you know, um, overall look at a number of different genes and whether or not you carry changes within those genes. And um, based on published research, there would be sort of associations with a particular variant with, and a particular condition. So, of course, the ApoE gene is um, quite well established to be um, a strong genetic respecter for Alzheimer's and dementia and late onset, meaning later in life. Um, so, when they, this gene would have also been included within that panel of genes that were screened uh, for him. And actually, um, doing this genetic screening, specifically if you're looking at ApoE, it's not very difficult. Um, if you only wanted to get the results for the ApoE genetic uh, testing, um, only that gene, I mean, you could go from, you know, getting your blood taken in the morning or, or, or saliva taken in the morning and you could by the evening get the result. So it's not a difficult test to do. Um, and interpreting is also not difficult. Um, but the knock-on impact, of course, on, on what it means to your health, uh, you know, that is still actually being, um, um, you know, understood at the moment, you know, just sort of recently, I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to have time to talk about it, but even just recently, you know, there was a paper that was published um, trying to understand in a little bit more detail the effect of these different Apple E variants on the brain. And we don't fully understand that either. So maybe uh, talking about variants, maybe I'll also just take a step back and, and talk about the Apple E gene itself. So most genes, you will have two copies. So, so you will have variants that can come in sort of two copies. And, and maybe I should pass this on to Sugi because I'm sure she's much better at explaining this than me. <laughs> but the Apple E is sort of interesting in that it can come in sort of six different versions, which is unusual in a way, right? And that's because when you, when you look at the changes that happen at the Apple E gene, Specifically, when you're looking at it in relation to Alzheimer's disease, you're looking at two types of changes, right? And in combination, it can give you six different possibilities, right? So you can either have, I'm sure, the one that uh, Chris Hemsworth has is the one, uh, he has two copies of the version known as the E4, and then you can also have an E3 or an E2. So, and they come in pairs. So you can either have an E2, E2, or an E2, E3, E2, E4, or E3, E4, or E4, E4, right? And what is known is that the uh, if you have one copy of the E4, then that increases your risk of getting um, Alzheimer's disease by about two to three times. And then if you have uh, two copies, then that can be up to 10 times. Um, risk of getting um, Alzheimer's later on in age. You know, when the labs run these tests, then they will they will report 
the combination of the HAPOE genotype, as we call it, um, and then the, the, you know, they will interpret it based on what it is that you have. So, so how would you interpret that? Um, let's say a, a combination like Chris Hemsworth, which I think was two copies, um, E4, E4, if I'm not mistaken. But, but um, you know, uh, it, it may not necessarily play out like that. So based on that range of risks that Dr. Azlina said, right, it could be um, two to three times higher risk, up to 10 times risk. How does that translate uh, as you go on in life and reach that perhaps so-called age where Alzheimer's might then typically develop? Well, I think we need to go back to what understanding or perception of risk is, right? So if we talk about, and currently what we're talking about is late onset Alzheimer's, uh, not the early onset, which is another set of genes altogether and has a very, very um, the risk is completely different. So we are only talking about late onset now. Now, late onset Alzheimer's is not an uncommon disease, right? So um, everyone has a risk to late onset Alzheimer's from the age of 65 onwards. And, and that's because the genetic component is not the only component that one has um, that will give the uh, incidence of the disease. Okay. But for a carrier, so like what Chris Hemsworth has, so he has an additional genetic risk that's inherited. So because he has both the E4 um, variant, then he is thought to be at, could be up to 10 times higher risk. But it's a could be, and I don't think so. There's actually very concrete evidence how, how, how that range is. Could it be maybe six times more? eight times more, 10 times more. I think that range is really not very well established yet for most of the population because it is rare. The people who actually carry um, both uh, uh, E4 variants, it's, it's rare, right? So the perception of what this risk then is, of course, you will feel the, uh, you know, that it's a very, very big risk. But we must not forget, because of aging, everyone also has, that risk already, right? And how this increased risk is going to manifest, actually, we don't really know because there's actually a lot of other non-genetic factors that come into play that will actually cause the disease to manifest. And it's a manifestation that is over time. So, you know, it's not like you wait until the age of 65 and you wait for, okay, am I suddenly just going to uh, lose or my memory. It is a progressive disease. So that's why it is complicated when it comes to the perception of risk. And everybody's perception is different. Because if you look at absolute risk, and I don't have the numbers, maybe Dr. Lina can, um, what is the general population risk of uh, Alzheimer's? I'm not sure. Is it, if, if, for example, if it's um, 3%, Right. So if you are six times higher than six, uh, 18%, for example, 10 times higher is 30%. 30% for some people is very high. Some people will say, oh, no, that's 70%. I'm not going to have it. Right. So perception of risk is very important. And uh, we need to actually take a step back and um, look at risk in a bigger picture in that sense. All right. We'll go for a quick break. And when we come back, I want to find out what are some of the other factors then that we should put on the table 
to consider alongside what we may know from the genetic side of things uh, before we then go on to discuss then, you know, how do we, um, you know, assuming uh, one of us goes out and gets um, a genetic screening test anyway, which are quite widely available now on a commercial basis, um, what do we do with this information if we also discover something like what Chris Hemsworth did? So we'll go for a quick break. First, I'm speaking to neurogeneticist Dr. Aslina Ahmad Anwar and genetic counsellor Yun Sook Yee, breaking down the news uh, related to Chris Hemsworth finding that he has a genetic risk of developing Alzheimer's disease and trying to understand whether this is something that the rest of us should be concerned about. Stay tuned to Health and Living on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. On Brainwaves today, Neurogeneticist Dr. Azlina Ahmad Anwar joins me together with um, genetic counsellor Yun Sok Yi, who's also president of the Genetic Counselling Society of Malaysia. We are discussing the um, bit of news that came out not too long ago about Australian actor Chris Hemsworth, who found out that he has two copies of the ApoE4 gene uh, in his DNA, which is actually linked to a risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. Now, as uh, alarming as that sounded initially, just from reading some headlines and perhaps some of the more sensationalistic reports, um, you know, if you go on to find out more, and as my guests have already started to explain, there's a lot more nuance that you need to uncover between just knowing that you have perhaps one or two copies of this particular gene and whether it actually will translate into you developing Alzheimer's disease um, later in life, which Soe has already explained that there are many other factors at play and also um, that the perception, individual perception of risk uh, is something that needs to be taken into consideration as well. And we are also talking about late-onset Alzheimer's, which all of us are at risk of uh, as long as we age, basically, and we all do, don't we? Dr. Zelina, would you like to add on something here? Yeah, so actually one of the um, greatest risk factors for um, late-onset neurodegenerative diseases, including um, Alzheimer's, of course, is, is age, as uh, you mentioned, right? But, but if you consider, actually, um, people who carry these genetic changes, these genetic mutations or variants, um, they were born with, but the, 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 these late-onset neurodegenerative diseases only start to appear, you know, when they're in their 60s or 70s. So, so for a long time, you know, people uh, had trouble understanding how is it that you could be born with the change, but, you know, uh, your body and your brain and your neurons seem to be completely fine for 60 years, right? And um, and that's also sort of partly coming into, um, you know, talking about um, something called penetrance. So just because you have that mutation, so how much does that mutation affect the cell, right? So as we age, um, you know, uh, there are many things that happen in our cell and gradually you can imagine over 60 years, the cell may not be as healthy as it was, you know, in your in, when you were 10 or 20 years old, right? And that's a gradual process. Everyone sort of, you know, goes through this um, aging. 
Um, if you then carry a, a strong uh, factor that then adds on uh, and makes that cell age uh, more rapidly or not be able to cope so much with the aging process that's going on. And then you then start to see the a gradual accumulation, building up, breaking down of all the different sort of functions of, you know, the neurons as well as the supporting cells around the neurons called glia. And in fact, um, you know, the clinical symptoms for many neurodegenerative diseases only really start to become apparent once you've once you have actually lost something like 60 to 70% of those cells, right? Um, so, so that's why I think, um, you know, doing this genetic testing, it is important in a way that you, you do need to sort of know what could be your risk, right? Because then, you know, um, it, it, if you know that you are at a higher risk, then uh, you can start to change certain things about how you age. And I think that's always one of the things that people um, are talking about, the benefits of knowing your genetic profile, because then, you know, you can modify lifestyle and there are actionable things that you can do, right? Is um, The concern is that once you get that uh, result, you know, um, if you, say, do not carry um, the risk factor, the known risk factor, you know, um, if you may step back from taking on a, a more healthy lifestyle just because you think, you know, you don't carry the E4 copy and you think, oh, you know, I'm clear, I, you know, I, I can live unhealthily. That is the risk, I think, because, you know, we're only talking about one gene. And actually, you know, for late onset uh, diseases, it's a very complicated thing. You know, I was talking about aging process. You know, there are many, many different genes that are involved. So even if you don't carry the ApoE risk factor, you know, you may be carrying a, a combination of other risk factors that could just as well increase your risk of getting uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. But those are not so widely known and may not be tested for, right? And, and I think that's important for people to also understand that, you know, whatever it is, you know, regardless of your genetic profile, you should still live, you know, um, um, healthy life. Mm. I was going to ask, right, if because if I'm born with this gene, perhaps I might want to know as early as possible and then lead the right lifestyle. But you are right. Um, you know, it's exactly that. The fact that everyone, regardless of whether you carry that particular gene, because there are so many other um, genetic variants and other um, genetically linked conditions that um, could be triggered by lifestyle decisions, right? But also on that note, you know, um, Chris Hemsworth talked about how he wasn't really surprised to find out these results because his grandfather had Alzheimer's. So um, it's that kind of family history, kind of a proxy indicator uh, that you might have something like this. And uh, so he, should somebody who has a parent or grandparent with Alzheimer's be particularly concerned and again coming back to what can they do in their lifestyle? What are those fact other factors that they might want to try and influence? Yeah, so family history is one of the indicator, but again, it's not clear how strong a family history needs to be before you have a higher chance in a sense. I mean, in the ideal situation, of course, you know, if Chris Hamper's grandfather 
uh, let's say if he had the test and confirmed that the grandfather actually had it, then yes, you know, then we know that it runs in the family. Um, so having a family history um, may increase the chances that there is something inherited, but it doesn't mean that it must be because elderly um, Alzheimer's is common. So it could be a case that is a non-inherited case. That's one. But of course, we look at the number of cases in the family, right? So if there are multiple members with Alzheimer's at a, you know, not that late in age, you know, not in the 80s and so on, then yes, we would certainly need to pay attention to that. So in terms of an indicator, then yes, family history is, but even that needs to be interpreted um, correctly. What exactly are those other factors that would come into play to contribute towards increasing that risk of developing Alzheimer's? Well, many things, of course. Um, you know, smoking, um, not eating healthily, diet. Um, also, um, I think, uh, yeah, I've gone, I've gone blank. <laughs> so I think it probably it's the other way around that we should uh, think about this. Uh, it's what can be done overall to reduce the risk and what is currently known. So I, I think among the experts, they've always said that there are three pillars to prevent uh, some of the aging um, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. And it is mental exercise, physical exercise and social exercise. So these are the three main pillars that is encouraged for everybody uh, to have. And this is uh, there's quite established evidence that this does help uh, reduce the uh, onset or perhaps delay the onset of um, things like dementia and Alzheimer's. So again, it, it, it sounds rather easy, but it's probably the three main pillars that we all are aware that it's important to have, but perhaps not as easily carried out, and, you know, with all our busy lifestyles and so on. I mean, how many uh, people actually purposely make sure that they have enough exercise? Um, then mental exercise is interesting. It, it, some of the suggestions were like um, doing things that would make you uh, think a bit more. And it could be simple things like card playing. It could be, uh, you know, sodoku. It could be learning a new language, learning some music. But again, it is something you have to make an effort to do, right? Um, and of course, the social exercise, I, I found that quite interesting um, when uh, it was one of the experts who says that, you know, having, uh, making sure that you do have some form of social um, activity as you grow older. And it is quite common in our population as uh, the older generations are not so involved in the social uh, scene. Um, that is, you know, uh, to have the social uh, component is uh, one of the ways to also help reduce the um, chances of having the disease um, develop. So I think what I found was very interesting with this story is created a lot of buzz, not just about the test, but about Alzheimer's and dementia itself. And why the, the, the things that you have to do for prevention or uh, you know to reduce the risk is actually from way early on. It's not something you can do at 60, something you want to do in your 30s, right? So creating that um, awareness about later onset brain diseases is, is, is I thought, was the, 
most important takeaway. And maybe I can also add that actually uh, more recently, sort of sleep, getting enough sleep is also very important. I think they've shown that, um, you know, while we sleep, there's a very important process that clears all the sort of waste that has accumulated through the day to make sure that, you know, the brain is nice and clean and can uh, function properly. So I think, you know, with our very busy lifestyle nowadays, on top of that, with all the, you know, scrolling of social media in the middle of the night, etc., you know, maybe we don't get enough sleep that we that we should be getting. And and actually, you know, there have been some studies that have shown that, you know, even as uh, they, they've looked at the impact of um, sleep on clearing a, an important uh, protein that has been linked to Alzheimer's, which is called the beta amyloid protein. So if you don't get enough sleep, then you also um, have a higher chance of um, having an increase in that in that toxic protein accumulating in your cells, and of course, over time, then that can then uh, potentially harm uh, uh, your brain cells. So you know, there's there's so he, you know quite like rightly said there's there's a lot of things that we can do to try to um, increase our chances of um, aging well, right? And that aging well will will help to sort of. Um, lower the lower the penetrance, perhaps, of some of the you know genetic risk factors that we may carry. You know, Dr. Azlina, I th- recall you having made the distinction before that we shouldn't treat everyone um, homogeneously as well. And there are differences uh, in our genetic makeup between the Caucasian and Asian populations. Is that something we should consider here in the APOE gene? So um, the the ApoE gene, um, most populations have shown a fairly similar frequency in the sort of number of carriers that carry the E4. Um, or so so across the world, most people in most populations um, carry uh, this the E3 E3. That's the most common, and around about sixty percent of people within a population will have this this E3 E3. And so we've been talking quite a lot about the E4 form, which is uh, known to be associated with an increased risk. So the E3, if you have a, a E3, that one is sort of neutral. It's, it's, it's a neutral meaning it's neither harmful nor protective, right? And there is some evidence to show that the E2 form uh, gives a, a, a slight protective effect, right? And so, you know, actually, the discovery of the association between ApoE and Alzheimer's was done, you know, 25 years ago in 1997. That was actually where the first report came out. And within the, those 25 years, people have been trying to understand, you know, how does the E4, how, why is it harmful? Why is the E2 possibly protective? You know, if, uh, and and of course, uh, thinking of you know possibly leading to some intervention right that would target people who have uh, who are carrying the E4 um, allele. So so in the different populations, um, Malaysians and even the different uh, ancestries within Malaysian, whether or not you're Malay, Chinese, or Indian, it appears to be fairly similar. Um, there was um, a paper and that is repeatedly cited. I have to say. Uh, talking about what was done in an Orang Asli group. Um, but having looked at that paper and in the Orang Asli group, they they said that uh, perhaps the E4 copies were slightly more, the more harmful copies within that 
uh, group was uh, uh, slightly higher. Um, but um, I think there could be issues with that particular uh, the methodology in that paper. So I'm not, you know, uh, I would say that, you know, that that people that that needs to be revisited in that Orang um, Asli population. But in the Malays, Chinese, and Indians, as I mentioned, um, it's fairly uh, uh, fairly consistent with other populations across the world. So we um, would a test like what Chris Hemsworth did be available to Malaysians? And if so, what would you like people to know before they consider taking it? What's the fine print they need to read? Uh, what kinds of questions should they be asking themselves or even a genetic counsellor? Yeah, so um, all, all these tests are actually quite widely available um, and there are many um, companies that market these um, direct to consumers so these are under consumer testing so it's different if it's done in a clinical setting uh, and and of course I personally think that that would be the ideal um, situation where actually if someone is considering doing a genetic test to actually seek some uh, professional advice from either a clinical geneticist or a genetic counsellor. But we do know that because consumer um, genetic testing is so widely available, it's uh, quite easy to just go online and order a kit that will come to your house and you can put in some saliva and a report will come back to you. So it is um, quite important for anyone who is considering ordering these tests to think about a few things. Firstly, why do you want to do it in the first place, right? And it's important to understand what are the possible impact before you actually do it, uh, these tests. So impact in a sense, what are you going to do with the information once you have it? Do you think it's actually going to effect, uh, have an effect on you emotionally? Um, a lot of people don't put some thought in that. So even um, from his um, interviews, Chris Hemsworth did say that he did it as part of a, a show where it was a um, celebrity doctor who deep-dived into all sorts of his uh, blood tests, so he wasn't really sure what you know the test was. And, and that in a sense, in a public setting, it's, it's a little bit concerning because if you are going to actually do a test, you should know what you are testing for, right? So that you give yourself the option of whether you want to know or not. It is about giving yourself a chance to think about what is the information when it comes to inherited risk that you really want to know, what you're going to do with that information and how you're going to manage it. Who are the experts? Who are the specialists that's going to help you monitor if you do have a risk? So the, that does some of the considerations that one needs to do. And the best way to actually get the right information is to get some form of genetic counselling. Get someone who is able to talk you through uh, what are the impact. And it's not just about your own um, um, information because these are inherited. It may impact your family members. And it may impact in some situations certain or cause certain discrimination. Think about insurance and what it might do for that. But the other thing that's also important is because there's such a big myriad of these tests, all tests may be done on different platforms, may be interpreted differently. And because they are not um, sort of guided under uh, what we call diagnostics testing criteria, um, to, you need to be very careful who is doing the test. Are they actually reporting it correctly? Do you have your risk estimated properly? 
So again, these are some of the information that you can clear with uh, people who are, you know, who have some form of expertise in this. So rather than just having something sent to your house, or if you are thinking of giving someone a Christmas gift, please be careful. Yeah, I think I think also, um, you know, you can imagine that Chris Hemsworth has a whole host of, you know, consultants and medical doctors that can, you know, tend to him and, you know, he has the luxury of being able to, you know, um, go and see a therapist if he does have any sort of, you know, long-term emotional, you know, outcomes from finding out his result. Um, he has the money to step back, you know, and take it easy. Um, and, you know, not everyone has that, you know, um, uh, has that choice, right? Yeah. So you may find out that you are, you know, a 10 times risk of getting Alzheimer's, but yet, you know, you 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 don't have the same uh, opportunities or or luxuries that Chris Hemsworth can have. So it 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 may have appeared easy for him to have accepted it, and you know, and and now choice to move on, and he's gonna you know exercise more and eat healthily. But not everyone can do that, right? And knowing that before you take that test, you know, you already have to, as he, you know, very, very nicely said that, you know, you have to set your mind that, you know, that this is what you, that you may find and what you're going to have to do, right? Um, knowing that you don't have all the, the team that Chris Hemsworth would have at his fingers. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, uh, speaking of the ripple effects on other family members as well, not just in terms of um, any shared, familial risks that they may have but perhaps for people like the spouses or uh, other uh, within the circle who may have to start putting on that caregiving hat. Um, Dr. Zlina, what do you foresee um, those ripple effects being? Yeah, I mean, I think um, that's very true. For example, now his wife and his children would have to now live with the you know, the very the uncertainty that, you know, their husband or their father, you know, the brother, the son, for example, you know, that they that they may then go on to develop Alzheimer's dementia and they have already and, and they need now to foresee what their future will be, you know, if he does develop the condition that they will have to take on this caregiving role. Um, you know, we we focus quite a lot of the attention on Chris Hemsworth. Uh, his sort of mental health, you know, having found out the result. But, you know, also there isn't probably enough that's been said about, you know, the, the other family members. And and even, for example, um, you know, uh, uh, employers, you know, how do the employers sort of take this information on board and what, what, what should they do about it? There, there isn't sort of enough discussion around there. And of, of course, you know, talking about discrimination, um, is a real risk, I think. Mm, especially with a neuro neurodegenerative condition, right? You know, on a more positive side, though, um, how do you see the future where we are armed with more information about our genetic makeup? And, you know, also Alzheimer's, the uh, recent sort of exciting news was also something like that drug Lecanemab, which uh, is not yet approved, still experimental, but has been shown to be perhaps um, the most promising thing right now in terms of being able to slow down the progression of Alzheimer's, though I think quite moderate. So could we see an era where people could take a genetic test, find out their risk and get treatment that's tailored 
um, to their individual risks? Or are we... Um, no, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. Could could that be our science fiction become present one day? I think I think that's definitely where we're headed. And I'm, so, I'm sure Sugi has... Um, you know, uh, she's probably seen many cases and she's she does that on a daily basis. So maybe I can hand it over to Sugi if you want to add on. So that is the goal of using genetic information. We hope that at some point we will be able to have uh, enough uh, what we call precision medicine, targeted therapies that are based on a genetic profile. And that's how the treatment of genetic diseases will be. And we know that there are so many types of genetic diseases that we call that. So um, at the moment, there are um, treatment, not exactly gene-based, that is available for Alzheimer's, but there are more and more uh, treatment to, uh, to, to delay the, the symptoms, right? And this is treatment. Um, it's not shown to really work prophylactically yet, or maybe there's just not enough data yet. So when someone knows that they're at increased risk, it's important also to be able to um, kind of um, figure out what can be done preventatively, right? So the ideal goal will be able to have some sort of medication, some sort of um, targeted therapy that a carrier can use to delay the onsets at least. And this is what we call prophylactic. So that, that would be the ideal goal. Um, and that's where a lot of research are going on. So knowing the genetic profiles of individuals definitely has a lot of benefits when it comes to risk management and treatment. It's just that we have to manage it well because we need to be able to have good evidence-based um, processes, right? We, we cannot just say, um, do the genetic test because you know there's a possibly something that you can do. We need to know what can be done. Then that is a good use of the genetic information. So definitely there are more and more genetic tests that are coming up. The technologies haven't really, uh, so the technology is very advanced. We are able to read a lot into our genes. What we need to catch up is um, the whole process of how we're going to have this taken up by the public, how do we interpret and what do we do to support them for those who are actually at high risk. So that part is very, very important. We haven't caught up with how fast the technology in doing the test itself. And, um, you know, it is, it is an exciting period now. So compared to 10 years ago, there are so many more options. Very, very exciting in the genetic testing field. But again, with caution um, and really interpretation of the uh, genetic results is really important. So we are here right now and we have, like you said, um, the technology has jumped ahead of us. Um, as a takeaway then, I think for uh, our listeners to be able to summarize the uh, cautions that we have discussed um, over the last um, 40 minutes or so, just because you can test for a risk of Alzheimer's now, should you? Um, so E? It is a very personal choice. Uh, <laughs> sorry to throw it back to the individual, but I believe that it is a very individual choice and none of us has the right to, to make a decision for anybody else. But as, as the individual that's deciding it, give yourself a chance to understand it better first so that you don't have that choice of whether or not you want to do taken away from you. 
So the 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 options are there. Always try and get the right information. Um, I would just say get counselling, get genetic counselling before you actually do a genetic test, even though it is a consumer uh, test that you can get easily. Then decide. So from then, you can choose what you want to do with the information with all of the correct uh, knowledge in the first place. Dr. Azalina, should people get the test? So I think, again, I, I, I echo as well what Sugi says, I think it is personal. Um, I think if you decide that you want to do it, that's like with any test, you know, if you want to find out, even if you're a carrier of, a, uh, of a, an inherited disease that your children would have, you also need to prepare, you need to educate yourself, right? So if you are, if you have ordered a kit or if you are um, thinking of ordering a kit to get it tested, don't just do it for fun, you know, please read up. And if you do have any um, results that do come back, you know, see the right people, right? Get counselling and then, of course, then remember the whole reason for why you did that test, you know, after you get the counselling. Then, of course, then take those steps that will help to reduce the risk if you do find out that you are a carrier. You know, don't just sort of, you know, put the file away in your drawer and then just continue leading the same kind of life, right? So, um, you know, make make good of the, the test results that you get. So that would be my main thing. If you do do it, you know, educate yourself and then take the, the correct role. Um, keep uh, keep your knowledge updated on possible things, just like Suki was saying, you know, a lot of things are, are now moving towards, you know, targeted, uh, personalised um, uh, uh, medicine, right? So if there are any possibilities that, you know, you could, you could get involved in the sort of the science of it, you know, then, then of course, by all means, you know, do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have, I think, together with um, Dr. Azlina and Sui, um, spoken so much about genetic counselling as well. And I did have a discussion with Sui quite recently as well about sort of the bigger scope of uh, genetic counselling. So if you'd like to check out those discussions, you can search for them on our podcast, either on our website or on our app. Just look for genetic counselling. And I think there's a really great one there talking about why you shouldn't be getting them for, um, you know, as a Christmas present or as a New Year's gift for people who, for you know, at the end of the day, like Soe said, it's a personal decision that someone makes. So I think buying them a genetic test kit will probably be a very bad idea because you're opening up doors that they may not want to have opened. Uh, but yes, check out those podcasts. And thank you so much for this discussion with me today, Dr. Azlina Ahmad Anwar, neurogeneticist and Yun Sok Yee, President of the Genetic Counselling Society of Malaysia. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.